Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal, alongside my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press, and we are back after uh, a couple weeks off. Um, Chris had some family matters to tend to. I am glad to have you back in the saddle, my man, and uh, glad to talk some football. Yeah, nothing's happening around Michigan State, so you didn't you didn't <laughs> miss a damn thing. So yeah, so um, so I've seen from afar. <laughs> But, uh, you know, there's, we're going to get into uh, a lot of stuff. We'll get into the coaching search a little bit, um, which, you know, means uh, Urban Thrifty Acres. Uh, and I like that. We'll get in, yeah, I think, I think it works. And then um, we'll get into, uh, you know, the, the Rutgers game as well, um, which is another game that I, I, yeah, look, I think Michigan State has a, has a chance to certainly be competitive and, and maybe win. Uh, Rutgers has shown some things this year, but they're definitely flawed. I watched them more than I had seen them play previously to Wisconsin, and I would employ the Juice Williams defense on their quarterback, ah. uh, blitz eleven, and make him throw and make a decision. And uh, if if you beat you, you live with it. Um, uh, well, let's before we get into that, let's let's get into sort of the state of things. And I'll start with this, Chris. I've actually been fairly impressed that. Only three guys are in the transfer portal. That these guys have hung together fairly well, despite the loss for some of them of their NIL collective through SD4L, and I know that caused a stir um, and on Friday night in in Iowa City. Yeah, it did. Um, but they uh, but they they all decided to play, um, and you know that you know. But I, there is a feeling a little bit of. Uh, I think Jordan Hall said to me, abandonment wasn't the right word, but it did let them know that they were sort of only in this together. They're, just yeah, then. they're on an island. I mean, quite honestly, they're on. They're, I mean, it's basically like Gilligan's Island. It, you know, you, your boat's crashed, you're stuck there, and the skipper that you're relying on, uh, you know, is, you know, not really much help, you know, and in terms of. Not Harlan Barnett, but obviously the skipper in this instance was Mel Tucker who crashed the boat. Um, but I, I think that right now that the only th- – one of the things that Chance Rucker said, um, the freshman cornerback who, like like Jordan Hall, started the Iowa game and has kind of emerged uh, through injuries uh, and his talent as a starter it, is that the only two things that they really can focus on right now are football and school. And he didn't even say it in that order. He said it the other way, that academics and football. Um, so not a Cardale Jones situation there any means. And I do say, what, what I liked about those two guys being around, and, and Darius Snow was, was also, I mean, they brought out younger guys yesterday to talk. And, and I, I was appreciative of that because to this point, 
It's been a lot of J.D. Duplain and Cal Halliday. Duplain especially, I mean, he's done after this year. There's no, yeah. there's no decision for him. He just, you know, I'm not saying he, does, he doesn't care. I'm just saying that, like, these younger guys got even more on their plate because they've got to figure out their future. Guys especially, like, you're talking about freshman starters. You, you want to talk about guys who have options? Chance Rucker and Jordan Hall are going to have options in the transfer portal Absolutely. if they choose to use them. And you can tell that, I mean, and, and Hall essentially said that, and, and, and Rucker might have too, but, like, the idea that, you know, at the end of the year you'll, you'll – you'll reevaluate. I think he used the term or whatever, but it, so they are going to, I don't know whether they'll stick around and they may not know yet whether they'll stick around because they don't know who the coach is going to be. They don't know how they're going to feel in six weeks. There's a lot still going on for them. Um, but those guys, uh, at least the guys who had a chance to bail after four games and, and preserve the year, uh, chose not to. Um, and that may stick to, that may speak to, uh, the naivete of, a. uh, of a 19-year-old who maybe thinks, I don't need five years to make the NFL anyway. Why would I care about that extra year? <laughs> but yeah. but it also, I think, at least says that there's decent leadership in that locker room and guys who want to play for each other and guys who put a lot into this season and would like to see it out. Yeah, Snow was one of those guys that Harlan Barnett mentioned as, as the leaders right now in that group, along with those veterans like Trey Mosley and Duplain and Nick Samak. Uh you know, uh, Cal Halliday, Simeon Barrow. Those are, those are guys that are strong leadership voices. And, and a guy like Barrow ha- could have options to either look to the pros or keep or stick here or, or enter the portal. Same with Halliday, too. You know, I, but I, I do think that seeing what some of those young guys can do right now, I think helps them, especially a guy like Rucker. And Hall, you've got a year that you're playing. You're getting valuable experience against Big Ten Power 5 opponents. You're getting tape. Um, so whether or not you go into the portal or not, I mean, that that tape that you have against major conference opponents is is valuable to, to building both yourself as a player and, and ironing out the deficiencies and weaknesses and, and identifying the strengths that you have uh, right now, uh, or at, or if they do decide to enter the portal to market them based on that, um, you know, and it, I think it's also important to, to know that, you know, for freshmen that haven't played or have played very little, a, a guy like Jalen Barber and the running back got one carry at Iowa in his first college game, you know, he's got three more games of availability left uh, to preserve a red shirt if he decides to enter the portal or just shut it down and, and make a decision after the season. So the, there's there's ways that these guys can juggle this between now and the end of November. And and quite honestly, I mean, you know, they're at two wins right now, trying to get four wins to, to get to a bowl game, to get to extra practices, um, to maybe – if a new coach is in place, if they do, if are able to do that, um, get an idea of what that coach wants to do and what his vision of the program is in December if they can make a bowl game. I, I think there's so many variables right now that, you know, it, it, it it's smart for these guys to kind of play it out. You know, the one guy that I think that I, w- I would look at and at coming out of the Iowa game and wondered about was – Caden Hauser, 
quite honestly. I mean, he's played in four games already this season. Uh, he's already used a red shirt year uh, last season. So the four games doesn't matter for so him. So right? the four game doesn't necessarily matter for him. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, that I, I think that, you know, moving forward, I mean, we know that there's an open quarterback competition again based on what Noah Kim did at Iowa in the last three games. I would be stunned if Caton Hauser isn't the starter. I will, I will get a, I will get a tattoo on my forehead, not a permanent tattoo, but like a stick-on tattoo mm-hmm. that I have to wear in a press box. If Caton Hauser's not the starter, because the the way Harlan Barnett phrased, and I know there have been some some reports out there from people who probably talked to Caton's family or whatnot that he's been told that, but the way Harlan Barnett phrased it too was so just so coy and so we know what we're going to do, but we don't want to, you know, like it, it sounded like a, 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 a team that had made a decision yeah. and they had ma- already made the decision and they just, they've told them. And I, it, it just, I, again, I, it's going to be Kate and Hauser. And, and, and I think if it hadn't been Chris, to your point after the last game that Noah Kim had, if you're Kate and Hauser and that doesn't earn you the opportunity, then you, but, but again, I don't know if, if you're a quarterback who's used his red shirt year, if quitting on your team midseason helps you in any form at any point, I don't think that matters. We talk about that in a past construct of college football, but at this point, it's—I mean, everybody understands that this is a business, and there yeah. are business decisions that need to be made. I mean, that Mel Tucker talked about that quite extensively over his four years, and the portal is one of those things that's a business tool right now. I mean, you've seen guys use it to enhance their NIL. You've seen guys use it to, to, you know, dangle the portal and and say maybe we'll go and maybe we won't. So I mean, there's there's a lot of parameters I think that that athletes now uh, are using as leverage in some way, whether it be contractually with NIL stuff or for playing time. I, I'm still kind of perplexed looking back to the Maryland game as to why Caton Hauser only got one series after and after the interception they went to Sam Levitt. That I thought was an interesting decision back then and still something that looking out for the final seven games, he's another guy that ha- has one game of experience playing. Um, what's his future? One of those two guys I think is at least going to enter the portal. If you're MSU, you just want one of those two guys to stay. And it doesn't really matter which one. I mean, obviously, if you want the better one, but... Worst case scenario is both of them enter. Yeah, right. And, and what, you, what you want, too, is to figure out, if you can, which is got the highest ceiling, the most likely to win the job next year. And so for that reason, too, I, I, I mean, I, I, think, I think the next move, if Caton Hauser struggles would be to Sam Levitt rather than go back to Noah Kim. He got five games. They saw what he is. I'm not saying if both these guys really struggled and they were rattled and you're headed to Columbus in mid-November that you wouldn't go back to Noah Kim. I'm not saying there isn't a, a world in which that could happen. But I think if, if uh, it's Kate and Hauser's job to run with at this point. And, but if at any point it's like, boy, it, it's, it's okay, but it's not so good that we don't need to see it with this other guy. Um, because I think not taking a look at Levitt, what you don't want to do, and again, this coaching staff may care to whatever degree because most of them probably aren't going to be around. There might be a couple guys that stick or whatever. But you know, you're still trying to do service to the kids 
to the program. I think Harlan Barnett cares. I think Harlan Barnett has a chance if he steers this decently. Like the fact that got kids haven't left in droves yet, because the the next you know the next coach will be greatly impacted by how many kids stick around, especially within the last two recruiting classes. And if, if at the end of the day they don't lose that many, enough, enough kids stick around. If this winds up not being a horrible experience, if they come out of it with a quarterback, how Harlan Barnett is remembered is is sort of a uh, an important person in, in in Michigan State history as an interim coach who did well by the program. I think will be will it was something that will matter to him. And this isn't making any kind of comparison of, of what they're doing and what they've done, but I mean people only remember Muddy Waters uh, from his failed, what, two, three-year tenure as head coach. They don't remember because history is so far along that he was such a good player at Michigan State. What they remember is that. And it's kind of, you know, same for Barnett at this moment right now. Um, Although the circumstances are far different, far, far different uh, for Barnett being kind of, he talked about it on Monday, you know, using the bye week to kind of just think about everything that's happened and, and talking to Mark D'Antonio, he said, Hey man, you got thrust into this. You know, it wasn't like you had a whole year to prepare for this. It was literally, okay, it's Sunday. You're taking over. We got a game against Washington on Saturday, you know, in, in six days. So um, I do think that if you look at what the defense has done since that Washington game, which, you know, again, you look at the circumstances of the week. You look at the confusion of who would be doing what and how it would be done at that point. They've rebounded with two pretty decent defensive games. Um, you know, you could say the the Iowa game. I mean, might have, probably would have been a different game had Cade McNamara not gotten hurt. Uh, but they shut down Iowa. I mean, they're number two in the country in third down defense, which I looked at that yesterday and I was like. Wow. I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty impressive. Now, granted, I think they were like in the 90s in fourth down defense. So how much that really matters now with teams going for it more in fourth down, I think, is, you know, a wash. I, mean, I kind of asked Scotty Hazelton about that. And, you know, obviously, you know, fourth down is now becoming more like third down with teams punting less, uh, depending on the spot of the field. But they've been able to hold the the side of the field generally and, and force punts uh, in the last two games. and I, But I think the, the job they did against Tagovailoa uh, against Maryland, uh, there are things that you look at and there have been building blocks for, for Barnett. And I mean, from an emotional standpoint, knowing that this Rutgers game is a springboard into next week against Michigan and that week is going to take care of itself from emotion. Um you know, and, and steering and, you know, having Mark D'Antonio kind of by his side to to guide it through. I mean, Barnett's got the experience as a player. He's got the experience as a coordinator in that game. Uh, but he hasn't have the steady hand like D'Antonio had. I think that's a week that they're going to rely on on some of D'Antonio's wisdom more than anything else to kind of chart him. But if they can get through this Rutgers game, if they can somehow get a win, I think that benefits both – Barnett and the rest of the players was for the final six games and you know also puts them halfway to a bowl bid so there's a lot of things still out there for this program this is the game that if they lose it the bowl thing is almost done because yeah you're you're looking at you got Michigan Penn State and Ohio State and you'd have to win one of those games and and look 
weird things have happened in certain moments, but when you look at those three teams relative to Michigan State and, and, and where those two seasons are headed, it, it, and if you can't beat Rutgers, it's not going to happen. I do. Let, let's do Rutgers before we, we, we do the, the, a little more on the coaching search because I, I actually think I, I felt like this was a, a game that they were more likely to lose than Iowa um, a couple weeks ago. After watching a couple – now, the Iowa game, they should have won. Oh, after yeah. watching, after watching, you know, uh, Gavin Wimsat, the the quarterback for Rutgers, play, Michigan State's defense, I think, is good enough. You put a couple spies on this guy, and you make him beat you with his arm, and he's going to turn the ball over. And that you just have to be ready for him to run, and you have to be ready. Rutgers is a decent running. Rutgers is a decent defense. They're not. This isn't a horrible program, horrible team right now, but I, he is limiting. I mean, if anybody saw the interception he threw. At the end of the first half at Wisconsin, they, you know, just a, they're down. Was it ten nothing or ten three? I think it was whatever it was, and they have a chance to go in and tie it up or go close. They're right on the goal line. He throws a pick six the other way. It's the sort of pass that I wouldn't even even thrown to my aunt Claudia at the Thanksgiving Day football game uh, at my cousin's house in 1993. Like I, it was just the most amateur, horrible pass. You, you could see it when it came out of his hand. You're like, why did he think he was going to throw that? And then yeah. the execution of it was horrible. And that sort of play, they, they just don't have a passer at the position uh, of extreme quality. And so that gives Michigan State, I think, a uh, a decent chance there to, um, you know, and, and the question will be, can Michigan State's offense get going with Kate Hauser if he's under center? You, you neglected to mention that A.M. Campbell was playing defense and guarding Aunt Claudia on that, yeah, that's on true. that pass, too. That's true. Um, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen Wimsett for a couple of years now, and I mean, he hasn't been an impressive quarterback at all. But the thing, I think the one challenge there is losing Jacoby Winman for the season kind of makes a difference there. Uh, because now, if you're plugging in Darius Snow, you, you're a lot more, I guess, m- limited mobility wise based on his injury. Um, and he's, I, I would say that, you know, he's cleared to play, but, you know, is, is he Darius Snow of, a year and a half ago, probably not. I mean, you can I don't think you can expect that. Um, so that would fall on really two guys in the middle uh, because Halliday's not a guy that you want to spy anybody unless he's guarding the hole. I mean, you know, you want him to have to try and chase anybody down laterally because that's not his strength. Um, his strength is, you know, kind of going forward. If you get him out in space, you can run away from him a little bit. But like Jordan Hall and Aaron Brule would be the two guys that, that you would have to use as spies um, you know, do they play a four-two-five? Do they and and bring in more speed at the nickel? I mean, depends on where they're at health-wise. There, I mean, they had to move Angelo Gross back. Angelo Gross would have been a perfect kind of spy there, you know, in that nickelback role. But depending on where Jaden Mangum is with his health, I mean, he moved back. Gross moved back to safety and had a real nice pick at the Iowa game with a toe tap on the sideline. But he would be a guy. If Mangum's healthy, I think maybe you throw uh, Gross up there in that nickelback spot to kind of give you uh, a little more speed and and in space and tackling ability, uh, and then allow you know the other guys to kind of do the things that they've been doing. Um, it, it is fascinating though, though, to think that, and, and I do think the other th- side of it too is, I mean, you you gotta be. I mean, this is a defense that doesn't give up. 285 yards uh you got to be able to move the ball you got to yeah. be able to run the ball i mean it's you know that it, it you know that's one thing about greg shiano's team they're gonna they're gonna 
come at you and they're going to play hard defensively. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, looking at this, I mean, you know, Rutgers has given up about 118 yards or so a game on the ground. Uh, you got to have a big game from Nathan Carter. I mean, remember a couple of years ago when they won out at Rutgers, Kenneth Walker had the big run um, that really kind of kind of set that all up. But it was also a game that they went over the top um, and beat beat them with Jalen Naylor in the first half and really put that game away. The real question will be: Is does Caden Hauser give him a jolt? And you know the, the left side of that offensive line has been pretty good when they run when they run beside when they run behind it. Um, and Nathan Carter's been good. And and, and but the, the real question is: Can they get more out of their quarterback and receivers? Their receivers have not been good this year. And I, and I do wonder at a certain point with your wideouts. And I get this is a weird year now, but some of the older guys, if they've hit their ceiling, and you're not getting a whole lot out of that position. I think you got to go to some younger guys that may have a better upside, and see what you can, see if one of them can can show some of that this year. Uh, because th- that group has been—I mean, as, as rough as it's been for Noah Kim at times, that group has been disappointing too. Um, and some of that's been the younger guys too. Um, but uh, so, can they get a little more, you know, giddy up to them with Kaden Hauser? And you're right; it will not be. I'm guessing it's a fairly low-scoring game. Well, let's let's go back to the Iowa game. You need a healthy Malik Carr, I think, because I mean Malik Carr yeah. in the first quarter of that game showed that he can be a difference maker really against a good defense. And, and I mean that was I mean that was a breakout quarter until he got hurt because yeah. um, we haven't seen them use him like that. Uh, so I do think that's that's critical. I mean, you know, one thing Harlan Barnett. I mean, he wasn't really talking about injuries, but he said he expected Malik Carr back. Who knows at what capacity? Um, you know, yeah. but having it, the buy helps. But having the buy definitely helps in getting a lot of those guys back on the field. Because I mean, you know that the Iowa game and the Maryland game really limited what that team had uh, with the injuries. I also think you know the Michigan game is a week away after this, and it is you know Michigan looks as good as they've been in twenty five years, and so. That that game has a chance to be a problem for MSU, but we've also seen them be competitive there. I do think it would help to get a win. The vibes that come out of putting in the work for a game, getting a victory in a physical Big Ten game, seeing some things click, maybe you see some things go on offense, and a little bit of confidence coming home to face Michigan, which confidence may not be enough to keep that competitive – but better to have it. Better to have a vibe of a win. Better to get. I, I yeah. asked um, somebody about this yesterday. Was, was just the idea of getting a win, um, and how important that was since they haven't had one yet since Mel Tucker left. Like this group has just been, you know, practicing during what feels like doesn't feel like a season spiraling, but the program is spiraling around them. You know, like and, right. and they haven't. If you can put something together and win in the face of that. I think that, in the way that makes you feel, uh, really helps you. And then you're, if they win this game, all of a sudden the things we've talked about in terms of postseason are in play. And I know, look, playing in the quick lane bowl or something like that for a team that's on a coaching change may not seem all that important, but having the postseason is something you could still attain, whether it makes a difference to the program or not, is still something you're playing for that you can attain. 
and not that they think they're going to lose other games. They're not going to think they're out of the chance. Athletes don't just think, well, they can't win those other three games. So against Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State, so there's no chance. They're not going to think that way. But yeah, they'll but, all know if they win this game, they got a legitimate chance. But at the same time, um, the two of the three winnable games with Nebraska, Minnesota, and Indiana, um, two of the three of those are on the road. Yeah, but I would take you and me at left tackle uh, against Indiana these days. Yeah, but it is. I, 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 yeah, but listen, I mean that that's a that's a spot where that 2021 team struggled down there. It is, but but the, Tom Allen will be be fired by then. It'll be the whole thing will be different. I mean, they're going to be in a rough shape. I think I think you're right though with Minnesota. I think Minnesota is probably the place if they're on the road that's hard. I mean, that that could be an audition for PJ Fleck, right? <laughs> All right. Well, good transition. Good transition. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little coaching search here. And, uh, you know, with, 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 with all respect to Harlan Barnett, who I think we both uh, like a lot personally, it would take a, uh, a run of epic proportions, uh, just about a miracle to put his name in this conversation. Um, and you know what? If it happened, I think people would be if, – like if they beat two out of three of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State and finished the season with like eight wins – You'd have to listen. <laughs> you have to yeah. go, well, okay. And it's just not going to happen. But, you know, there, so if you're him, that's what you're thinking. Like, when you're sleeping at night, the dream is, like, somehow this all comes together, you have this amazing finish, and you're in the conversation uh, for a serious interview. Barring that happening, uh, which, which it doesn't look like, it, the big talk, obviously, is, is, is Urban Meyer. And this is all stemming Who? from... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I've been away for a couple of weeks. I, yeah, yeah. Who's this guy again? Does he... Is he a good football coach? 59-year-old uh, former Ohio State, uh, Utah, Bowling Green, and Florida coach, Urban Meyer. He um, also Jacksonville Jaguars, noted Jacksonville Jaguars, former coach, just like Mel Tucker. Um, yes. So anyway, Urban Meyer is certainly somebody that Matt Ishbia would like. I think Steve St. Andre probably would. The donors like him, and and there's been a push uh, on social media from uh, from people, I think, who are near the donors, and they may like him as well as, and have their own ideas about it, but... And that has permeated the entire fan base, which is now all in on Urban Meyer. Not all in. I should say there's a lot of people who are in on Urban Meyer. There are a lot of people who have misgivings, and, and I, you, know, you can see them both. I understand the allure of Urban Meyer. I don't know that enough people around Michigan State would totally buy into having him. I don't think his baggage is disqualifying, but I think it would have to be the right tone for him. He would have to really want it and sort of sell himself much more than Michigan State just chasing him. Because you're coming off a situation with Mel Tucker, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying what anything that Urban Meyer's done is the same as what's happened with Mel Tucker. These are different situations. But there is baggage at a university that right now can't have a lot of baggage. And I also don't think that it's – I'm not saying it's – I used the word at one point that it's the lazy hire to hire Urban Meyer. I don't think it's lazy. That's the wrong term. But my mother could hire Urban Meyer. Like, you know, she she knows who Urban Meyer is. The job is to hire Urban Meyer 20 years ago. The job is to hire Kalen DeBoer when he's at Fresno State. The job is to figure that person out, not just get the obvious hire. And I think sometimes it's too easy to get locked in on this. And, and look, Ishbia, if Ishbia, Ishbia should have a seat at the table. If you want something, people are going to listen. But he also might just be the new Joel Ferguson, where sometimes what he right wants isn't what's right for the program, and you've got you've to you parse that out. I'll just remember – who was pushing for the extension for Mel Tucker and paid for it. You got to keep that in mind, quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, 
there there have been you know a, a number of things that have been pushed for that you know now all, they quickly sour on well you can't have a hire that you quickly sour on here that's i mean i think the one thing that i think you mentioned about trying to find the next mark d'antonio it wasn't so much about how d'antonio did it who d'antonio was but the longevity, you need to find someone that you, you that wants to be there long term. You need to find someone that isn't going to be a job hopper right now. Um, if that's Urban Meyer, maybe that's the case. But again, I think you pointed out the baggage. It's at it, it, a, it a university right now that has become known for baggage. That's something that should and definitely must be discussed. But at the same point, there's no it's a leadership vacuum right now. There's not a president. They've got to understand that. So here's the well, thing. Well, but my point is that, that that might be the only way you can get Urban Meyer is before a new president comes in. And what happens then? Is that going to be stable? Right, right. And does does Alan Haller want to stake his reputation? And, and because this will be for Alan Haller, this is a this is this is the move. He doesn't get another one after this. <laughs> you know, like it has to go well. And you know, and and I, you know, I do think he'll get to make the hire unless something comes out that you know. But I think Michigan State should want him to make the hire just because again there is no president. I think one of the things the Board of Trustees has to understand, and I wrote this in a column today, is that like, I think originally they thought new president comes in, that person may decide on the AD, and then they hire a football coach. That's not how this is going to work. You're not going to have a president in time. And if you want the president to have a say, and even if the timelines are somewhat adjoining, only thing that's going to happen is that if you're waiting at all on a president, is going to muck this up. And it's too bad. It's not ideal. But if you do that... with you know, uh, To that... Um, I've heard from a source that, I mean, there's a split camp. Some people think they could have a president in place by Thanksgiving at the university, but the more realistic camp and probably the bigger camp believes it might not happen until after the new year. You can't wait that long for a football game. And and you can't wait until, I mean, Thanksgiving, say the hire comes in the week before Thanksgiving. Yeah, you might have somebody who could meet with that person, but a lot of stuff's going to be done. And and you, you so you could have somebody who came in and said ah, I really don't like this person I really like this and person. this but is, I, and this is why the logical choices are Urban Meyer for MSU football coach and Jim Tressel for a university president he's a free agent too <laughs> right the, yeah There's no baggage with either of them I mean why not I mean if you're gonna if you're gonna go full baggage then just do it if you're gonna do them if you did the Urban Meyer thing I think tone is important like I think he would have to have a level of contrition a little bit just sort of exp- you know. Ex- he would have to own his baggage to steal a phrase from Mel Tucker. But but here's but here's the one thing about Michigan State. You can't have an end of I mean, do you want an end of the line coach? An end of this coaching career coach? Well, that's I the question. Know. So so I think he's got to sell him he's 59. He's got time if he's really into this. And it, it he's going to have to sell himself to MSU. And I think even at the even if it went all the way down that to that runway and you hired him and you're the the, the press conference you know what you're not going to have is the band and the cheerleaders you got to not have that tone he's got to sell himself to the university and, and and why he wants this why he's the person for this job right now there is an avenue where if, if, if urban meyer really wants to be michigan state's head coach i believe he might be able to get it because there is donor support and i believe he obviously has a great winning track record he is only 59 and he could sell that but urban meyer can't be stubborn he can't want to be chased those sort of things, I don't think work for MSU right now, and because there will be some misgivings about it, and and I don't know that Michigan State can get past them. Maybe they can. I don't know. Here's what I think is more important, and I think you pointed it out somewhat to a certain degree in your column. I mean, 
yes, there's the obvious baggage with Meyer based on the incident in the bar, right? Um, there's the obvious baggage with Meyer based on the Zach Smith situation yeah. at Ohio I think State. Zach Smith's the bigger one. But yeah. to me, the bigger baggage that I think, if you're going to look at a candidate like that, is the lack of organization and how things spiraled downward with the Jaguars. This is more of a pro environment now. Um, you can't be a dictator like Urban Meyer was in his previous life as a college football coach. He tried that in the NFL and players revolted against him. You I mean and if you're if you're going to do this, if if you're Urban Meyer, you have to understand that this is a pro pro game now. You you you've got you've got avenues for players who are discontented to leave quickly or basically torpedo your program and you might say well you know urban meyer's going to come in and land 15 five-star kids to boost the talent do we know that i mean because it, it what urban meyer does is tied to what the schools he had were um particularly the resources at ohio state in a, in a pre-nil there. era in a pre-nil right. transfer portal era so that's the other thing like so msu is in a spot now where it doesn't have like, I mean, the, the timing wasn't great. Like they, they announced, you know, they announced the official SD4L being the official NIL collective. And like two weeks later, it pulls the rug out from, from these guys. And that's a huge, that's a terrible look, not just for the current spot and, and the players on it, but for recruits, because it doesn't, it does not tell it, it does not the recruits help. It that, doesn't help. that you are stable. No, the brand the brand is dead. I mean, you can't have. I think I said in the in the in the column that it's sort of like if you have a shooting at a bar or a, a plane crash, you, you can come back. You just can't come back as the same thing. Like SD four L is is like is you know you might as well send those shirts to a a country that gets the Super yeah. Bowl losing team shirts or whatever as is yeah. the winner. Like those those are those are done. Any booing in the stands doesn't have anywhere near the impact of pulling money out from kids right now. Because this is pro sports, and that is their venue, their avenue, their 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 recon, their compensation. They've got to make decisions. Yeah, no, I I think you know, and I understand from from the donor perspective that there were some frustrations that have been long set in. I get that, and I get that. Um, but the problem is that's not the way it looks. Like so, the the thing is to most. MSU fans and even lower tier donors, they don't know what SD4L was, is the value, how it worked, where the money's going to go. That needed time to be explained, to seep into the culture. Probably, I mean, I think the athletic department needs to do more in terms of like Spartan fund points or, or really uh, telling donors, you know, and they were starting to do that, where, where to put their money for this. And the problem is it was like two weeks Right after Mel Tucker got let go, like that was never. This is a reactive fan base. It's not. It's not going to be a fan base. It's not a reactive donor. It's not a donor base that looks at the lowest point and goes, "I'll give now. We can fix this." It's a, it's it's a always been a, a donor and fan base that reacts to good times with giving, and that's just what it is. And the next coach is going to have to realize that too. I think that was part of Mel Tucker's problem is he came in as a guy who'd been to places where it's a little different vibe in that sense. And so I, you know, there's a lot there's a lot that they're going to have to figure out between now and then. They need to have the collective sort of before you get your coach, you need to have that collective on its way back so you can at least tell the coach and those donors can tell the coach we've got something for you. I'm looking at this objectively, right? The guys that put the money up for this are also the guys that put the money up for Mel Tucker. They're 0 for 2. And you're you're going to have them a seat at the table to 
get the next coach and the next NIL collective. At some point, and I understand that there aren't many billionaires out there, let alone some with ties to your university, but at some point there needs to be a leadership and whether it's a president, whether it's an athletic director that says the money's fine, but we need to organize things. We need to get things into our organizational structure, not how your organization, how you want or think something should be organized and structured. Well, I think, I think there was, you know, from everything I've heard, there was, um, they didn't quite understand early on how much it would take, uh, per year to fund football and men's basketball. And because of that, you had a situation where they didn't the, the, some some other donors. If are you're starting away. something like that, that should be some, your first priority. That should be your number one thing. How much do we need? The, the person who I understand to have given them those numbers was then let go from the football program, and so that is that is a situation where you you know um, I'm not saying that they should have known better. But it was all new. I, I give people. Yeah, I, I do understand that that it is a new climate, a new environment. You, you got to give people mulligans at the beginning, and they, they've done a lot of good for the universe. Let's be real. This stuff has been out there for many years and other forms that aren't name, image, and likeness. But put it like this. Put it like this. Every time Tyson Walker hits a shot this year, you can thank the the big three and, and, and you know and Greg Williams and, and uh, right. Saint Andre and and and, and uh, Matt Ishbia because. You know, I don't think he's back if the NIL that exists for those the basketball fair. players are just still in place. So, I mean, there is some good. And the other collective, this is Sparta, has got like 11 sports, 132 athletes, the whole gymnastics team. They've done a lot with a lot of people. Like, there's some they're real good in collectives. They've got to figure it out. I think the timing was, was rough on this. I think it's also hard to tell people how to spend their money. And I think one of the problems with NIL, and a lot of places are running into this, is you don't get a lot of return on your investment. And it's frustrating. And so if you're these big donors and you're not seeing the winning and the, you know, there's a lot of people who feel let down right now. And, um, the problem is this particular situation, if, if they could have held on through the season with these players and then reevaluated, I think that would have been the better way to go. I agree. They chose not to do that. It's their money. Okay. But it, it's not, you know, what, what Jordan Hall said in terms of, you know, you could see it, they, that, that affected them. That affected how they feel about Michigan state. Yes. And th- that is a problem, and you've got to remedy that. And if you are affecting the players that are there right now, who are the best recruiters to a program? The players that are there right now. That's, I yep. mean, if you aren't taking that into account in your business model, I mean, then what's your business model there for? And so the other thing is when they look for a coach here, I think there's a lot of things they need to decide. They need to decide what they want to be. And what they want to be in a, as an NIL program, what they want to sort of demand, how they want to – like, I, 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 more and more I think about this, Michigan State needs to get creative with NIL. Like, if I were Michigan State, I would set up a separate NIL just for offensive linemen. I would try to dominate that position. And I would try to be something where you paid offensive linemen like quarterbacks. And you know what? You always had a great offensive line because you think about, like, the heyday of Wisconsin. And Michigan State's had its heyday too, but think about the way Wisconsin did it in its heyday. When it was able to compete with the best, and, and certainly, I mean, it's because they were so good up front with yeah, pros. Yeah, like, but but were, the, but were those five star guys? I mean, was there some a, of them, were, some were, they, were they pancake honchos? I mean, you know, I mean, that's I mean, they, it's not like they weren't going after them. So if you couldn't land them, it means you know that was a high priority target. The Samson Okunlola, who went to Miami 
and who just recently blew out his knee. Um, that was a high priority target and they couldn't land them. So do you have the money available? I mean, is it, is your money supposed to be going to those recruits? That's a whole other thing that, you know, I mean, there's so many structural things and this is non-Michigan state related. This is overview, you know, name, image, and likeness was never meant and intended. And these collectives were never meant and intended to be paying recruits to come to your school. It was meant to compensate the kids that were there. And, and that's ultimately now what, what things are happening. I don't know. And that's, and maybe this is one of the good things about this is it feels like there's going to be a shift again in what that is from a, from a national perspective, whether it be, some sort of legislation at the national level, which I don't know if that will happen or not, but I know that there's concerted efforts and pushes to try and make it happen because nobody, I don't think, really knows what college sports is anymore. And I think that trick, that's not just the fans, because I do think that there's a lot of that. And I talked to other people about that. Um, if there was fatigue, you know, top coaches said there's more than likely if there's a fatigue in the administrative level and at the coaching level, then there's got to be a fatigue level at the fan level. But that there's a fatigue at the other level, I mean, no one ever intended that to be paying recruits to come to your school. It was giving players at your school an opportunity to earn. And then all of a sudden these collectives came up basically being de facto, uh, you know, the, the payroll department. It's not how it's supposed to be. I do think there's a way, and if I were running a program like Michigan State, and Michigan's done it, I do think a good job with this. They they pay the players who are there, not the recruits. And and if you do that, if you're a recruit, you know you get paid when you get there. You're up on your campus visit. They're like, yeah, man, we, this is what you get when you're here. I mean, like when you when you pay your players, but how many schools you can try do to that? Build a program. Well, that's the question. And so what, I mean, what is what I do? Six, what I do think eight, is you know twelve. Well, what, what, that, that's what's interesting is is. These guys, you know, St. Andre and Ishby aren't the only ones going to get frustrated with this because there, there is so little return on investment. There is no market value. The market value is this sort of inflated fake market based on a love for alma mater, which means you want to win. But you, get no, you, don't get the, you, know, you don't get the brand recognition that comes – like Aaron Rodgers and State Farm is the thing I always use. Chris Paul, State Farm. It's not like that. These aren't endorsements like that. This is you paying, hoping your team can win because this is the model. And I don't know that this is the lasting model. I really don't. But I do think that I do think it's the model right now, and so you have to be able to play the game right now. You can't fall behind. You have to have enough in place to be able to be competitive. But you also, I think, more than as much as NIL, at least, you have to have a coach who people want to play for, who gets the most out of the players, who develops. All that stuff still matters, and I think that's where they really need to. You know, you got two tracks here. You need to fix the NIL situation and, and, and get that as good as you can get it and as organized and explain it to fans and donors. But then you also get the right coach who you think somebody can be there for ideally a decade who can and, and I know people don't want to like have a program build or anything like that, and, and maybe it won't have to be entirely painful. But that still matters. That still works. It still takes a minute to get a program where you want it and to put your own stamp on it and and if they're lucky, most of these guys will stick around and maybe some of the, the progress that Tucker and company have made will continue. Yeah, and you just don't know until that happens, you know, what that build's going to look like until you see who's staying, who's going. I mean, that's – Yeah. I mean, that's it, – it's a tough spot and, you know, what's the build now? I mean, the transfer portal helps as we saw in 2021 – 
that can help you build quickly. You've seen it some other places too where coaches have come in, hit the portal. I mean, the obvious is Colorado and see dramatic shift and quick shift, but that's not sustainable as you've seen from 2022 and 2023 Michigan State. I mean, you can get that quickly, but it still comes down to getting the top players out of the high school level and retaining them. And from anywhere, national writer, reporters really struggle with this. They're talking, ah, oh, year two, they're not. Look at what happens to, like, look at Brett Bielema. Everybody thought he was a god again in Illinois last year. Now they're struggling. Like, there, there comes a point when you take over a program where you're going to have the, the, the hard year, right? Even if you're able to turn things quickly to some extent. That happens just about everywhere. It still happens uh, today. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, if you can get the Dylan Tatums and the Jordan Halls and the Chance Ruckers to stick around, it's going to be a lot easier to not have it be painful for a couple years. Um, Chris, let's, in an awkward transition, let's give our Rutgers predictions before we go. <laughs> Boy, I really haven't given a whole lot of thought to a score, but I, I, I just, it, it's, it's hard for me to see, even after a week off, this team coming back from the emotional side of that Iowa loss. And if you're changing quarterbacks, you might get a little bit of an infusion, but realistically, the first sign of trouble with the other quarterback, if he's not the guy, then what do you do? Um, and I just, it, I, it's, I, you know, to me, and I know that they've they've had a history of winning against Rutgers, but I just think that the stability versus the, I guess, shakeup, uh, to me, is the difference. I, I'm going to say, and, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of offense. I do think the defenses are going to rule in this game. I'm going to say that uh, Rutgers wins this one, 20 to 17. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here. I know the spread is like five, five and a half. I think uh, in favor of Rutgers, and I, I just can't get over Gavin Wimsat, and uh, I I think Michigan State wins this game. I can see a scenario win if that for them to win it. I just you know it's going to take an emotional resiliency coming off of how they lost at Iowa. I think they'll be there. They had the two weeks, good week of practice. Uh, I don't know that Kaden Hauser will be fully the answer, but I think you know, there will be some moments where you go. And and the real key for me is, you know what what made Noah Kim no longer really a good option is his interceptions, and. There were some other things too, but the interceptions, it's like, you know, if you can't take care of the ball and the offense isn't going anywhere, that, that's, those are two big problems. Um, so we'll see if Kaden Hauser can take care of the ball. I mean, to be, to, be, to be fair, the last pass he threw was an interception. I'm aware of that. So, but going out on a limb here, uh, give me uh, Michigan State. I'll just re- reverse the score 20 to 17 the other way. Now, that, uh, That'll do it. Well, that was fun, man. That was spirited. It's good to be back doing yeah, this. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, I had a couple weeks of being away and and having a lot of thoughts on some things. So, well, glad you could get the thoughts out. A few of them. A few of them. <laughs> a few of them. A few of them. Yeah. Um, we should just do a Solari five minute like Solari's thoughts to open every podcast. Just the stream of consciousness. Hey, some of us can't be columnists. <laughs> the. Uh, um, you know, sometimes reporters just have to report and not opinionize. Ooh, mm, okay. I think we know where that's headed. Um, the uh, 
Anyway, uh, the other thing, uh, you know. By the way, did uh, I just create a word? Is opinionize a word? It's probably a word. It's, probably. It works for me. I like it. Uh, Midnight Madness this uh, Friday night. Just a reminder for fans who, who want to be there and, and see the men's basketball team. I know there's a lot of interest at Breslin. And uh, hockey team, I uh, believe, is home again. Right? There's their way to yep. say, I should, I should. You know what? If we, home again. if we made the uh, projection for the Rutgers game, we should probably make the prediction on what Tom Izzo is going to come out at Midnight Madness as. So what do you, what do you think? I think he's going to come out as Judd Heathcote. That would be tremendous. That would be absolutely tremendous. And I apologize. They're at, the hockey team's at Air Force this week. They're home against Canadians yes. next week. Thursday, Thursday, Friday series, I believe, at, at Air Force, correct? Yes. They've, they've, he's got to do that. He's got to do Judd one of these years before he's done. I that agree. would be That would be too, too good. That should be, should be suggested to him. Um, we appreciate you guys listening and reading along with us. We'll have complete coverage at Freep.com, LSJ.com, and we will be back uh, next week, uh, talk about what happened at Rutgers, depending on what happens, and then a lot about the Michigan game. And it, what, wait a minute. What, I've been gone a little bit. What's after the Rutgers game? <laughs> Minnesota. I think they're just skipping the, yeah. the Michigan game. Um, so it'll, it'll be an interesting week. Um, for Chris and myself, this has been a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. Rate, subscribe, uh, throw your phone on the floor if you don't like what we're, you're hearing, whatever you want to do, and we will talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.